Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This episode starts with the story of two friends, Ron John Roy and his buddy Adam. Ron John's in his 30s now. He's a content strategist used to be a Wall Street trader, and he writes a newsletter about tech and business. He and Adam met in college, doing a semester abroad in Rome. And after graduation, they shared an apartment in New York. And Adam actually worked in fashion. He was at Barney's as a buyer of women's denim. That's Ron John. I asked him to tell me about Adam, because recently, the pair of them ran a little experiment that got a lot of attention. It was an experiment with pizza which is what Adam does now. He owns a pizza place. Well, two of them, actually, in Kansas. They're called AJ's New York Pizzeria. Do you know why he wanted to open a pizzeria? Um, he actually doesn't even like food, which is always a running <laughs> joke among our friends. And that was actually why it did make sense to me when he said that he wanted to open a pizzeria, because he was like, this is just pure business. Huh. You know, just something I'm not even passionate about. Just I want. I think this is the opportunity uh, to bring New York-style pizza to Kansas. Adam noticed that in Kansas, you couldn't get a good New York-style slice for a reasonable amount of money. That style of pizza actually wasn't really in Kansas at the time. It's mainly Domino's, Papa John's, or kind of much higher end, but that middle ground was the opportunity. To avoid competing with chains like Domino's and Papa John's, Adam decided not to deliver his food. Instead, he'd serve pizzas in the restaurant, do some takeout, and really focus on building the restaurant's brand. And that decision paid off. His restaurant expanded to two locations. The strategy was working. Then in March, the phone started ringing. Customers were calling AJ's to complain. They were complaining about cold pizza being delivered, the wrong pizza being delivered. And he's telling me that On his Google listing, there's a big button, blue, that says, order for delivery. Remember, Adam's restaurant didn't do delivery. He quickly figured out that the orders were coming from DoorDash, a food delivery app that private investors valued at $12.7 billion last year. Customers saw the AJ's listing on DoorDash, placed an order, and a delivery driver went to pick up the pizza. The thing is... Adam had never listed his business on DoorDash. That seems so crazy to sort of wrap your head around that people could be ordering from a place and the place has no clue that that that's happening, that this whole kind of ecosystem of getting their food to a consumer is even taking place. Was Adam mad when you guys figured this out? Yeah, he was pissed. (laughs) He, He was pissed because one... It's without his permission. Two, his employees were having to waste time answering calls from angry customers. Three, customers were being affected negatively towards his brand. But then also, he was just more fascinated and annoyed by the fact that a company worth 
billions of dollars, supposedly, would bother doing this to a restaurant like his. This strategy is not all that unusual. It's a tactic that DoorDash and other delivery apps use to gauge demand, then convince restaurants to sign up for the platform. Adam could have complained to DoorDash or asked to have the listing taken down. But instead, he called up Ranjan, and they came up with a plan to outsmart DoorDash at its own game. Today on the show, the weird world of food delivery apps. Who makes money? Who doesn't? And what happens when countless restaurants are forced to depend on companies like DoorDash in the middle of a pandemic, protests, and police lockdowns? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When Adam found out that DoorDash was delivering his food, poorly and without his knowledge, he asked Ranjan for more information on the company. Not only were they delivering without his permission, they'd gotten the prices wrong. So another complaint of his was a lot of the pizzas that were supposed to be $24 were listed on the DoorDash menu for $16. He assumes that they're undercutting the price to generate more demand. Like Uber, all these companies were used to just getting amazing discounts as consumers. So his assumption is that. But Ranjan wasn't so sure that was the case. He thought the pricing discrepancy might be an accident. DoorDash was known. They go into a new market. They don't even spend time sitting there copying menus. They use a web scraping bot to just kind of pull all the menus into their system. You take one look at his menu and you see the way the $16 price is next to the $24 price and which columns they're in, a web scraping bot could easily confuse the two. So instantly it becomes clear that no one sat there and even made this mistake. It was just a technical error. And this gave Ranjan an idea. So I previously worked as a trader for a Wall Street bank, and there's a term called arbitrage, which is essentially the idea of buying and selling an asset at the exact same time for a risk-free profit. It's magic gold that every trader in the world seeks out. Clearly, if you can buy a pizza from DoorDash for $16 and sell it and get paid $24, you would make $8 with no problem. So Adam and Ranjan decided to try what they called pizza arbitrage. Adam ordered 10 pizzas from DoorDash for $160, the price that was listed on DoorDash. DoorDash called his restaurant and placed the order. 20 minutes later, a driver showed up with DoorDash's money and paid $240, the actual price. It worked. Adam instantly made an $8 profit for each pizza. But Ranjan didn't want to stop the experiment there. 
the ingredients cost him six or seven dollars. So in reality, you're not making a clean eight dollar profit. But then he even suggests maybe we just put in dough instead of all the actual ingredients because dough basically costs him nothing. So then we try another order and just have boxes full of dough. This also worked. They made more money. But soon after the second experiment, they stopped. For Ranjan and Adam, this arbitrage scheme was never about profit. It was about testing DoorDash's system. Did DoorDash ever catch on? No, no. I mean, <laughs> there was, there's not, they still were trying to actually sell him to come on the platform afterwards. For a long time, there would be kind of like generic sales email sent from whatever regional salesperson. I want to kind of broaden out and move beyond the mechanics here and understand the basics. I'm wondering if you could just tell me how DoorDash and companies like that work. Yeah, the pitch to a restaurant could make a lot of sense. It's the idea that you're already operating, but you don't have delivery. DoorDash can come in. Your staff's already there. You've already paid rent. All your fixed costs are already done. So this is basically just free money, quote unquote. It's incremental revenue. So then 30% commission does not seem so bad. And that's a commission that the restaurants pay to DoorDash or Uber Eats or one of these other companies. Yeah, that's what the restaurant would pay. So a $100 order comes in, you pay DoorDash or Grubhub or whoever, 30 bucks. If you already have your staff and your rent paid, this seems like a pretty good deal. And that's where DoorDash, if they go to you and show that without you almost even knowing it, gained all this extra revenue, it seems like a pretty good pitch to a restaurant. This specific example with Adam's restaurant was the result of the company running something called a demand test. And and I wonder if you could describe the specifics of that tactic to me. So a demand test is, they called it a non-partner restaurant, if you actually go through their documentation. (laughs) A partner restaurant has signed on. A non-partner restaurant is effectively not a partner. Imagine if it worked out, Adam's restaurant would get a ton of business. Let's call it like a few thousand extra dollars a month. Two to three months later, a DoorDash representative would go to them and say, look, you just made $3,000. Now going forward, you can have all that extra revenue, but just pay us 30%. And the DoorDash CEO, Tony Hsu, actually has said that their strategy is to go to the restaurant with a check in hand. It's a powerful sales tactic. Yeah, so you want a little taste of the sugar. Well, (laughs) if you like that. (laughs) Exactly. Do other companies in in this space do this as well? Hub has started doing a lot of things around listing restaurants unknowingly, changing the phone numbers, to Grubhub generated phone numbers. The argument from the platform side is that competition is so fierce that they have to do these kind of things. Grubhub CEO Matt Maloney publicly said that these things are not sustainable, these kind of practices, but it's the weight of competition in the industry that forces these kind of things. I wanted to ask you a question about Grubhub because they had this letter to shareholders at the end of 2019, and they called the delivery part of their business, which also includes Seamless, a means to an end, saying that real profits would come from marketing on the platform. And this kind of blew my mind because it's this idea that like, oh, no, we're not a delivery business at all. We're an advertising platform. So I think 
that could be a compelling story to shareholders, I guess, that the idea that once we get everyone on our platform and then they're competing with each other, then we can start charging them ads for placement. And digital ads are always very, very high margin. So, so I mean, it seems like it could be a compelling story, but especially for an already public company to not have an established business model blows my mind. Yeah, I think one of the things about this business model if you're a consumer, you know that all these companies are out there. People use them. You might use them yourself. People just kind of assume they're making money. Is this at all profitable for these companies? Every single platform is losing a ton of money. In the hundreds of millions, DoorDash lost $450 million on $900 million revenue. And again, just to spell it out, that's they, you spend $1.3 billion to make $900 million. But to the average consumer, clearly you assume a business that's that highly valued and prestigious and has all these very fancy investors is doing good business. Why do big investors throw money after companies like this if they are spending a ton of money to lose even more? So the open, it's not even a secret here, is the only way to turn this into a profitable model is through monopoly power and concentration and raising prices. They will increase prices on customers and restaurants, and they will reduce bonuses and fees to drivers and lay off additional employees in the mergers. And that's how investors will have the last laugh. Uber right now is considering a deal that would give it control over the majority of food deliveries in the U.S. The rideshare company is looking to join forces with Grubhub. Now, That concentration of power has become more visible recently, with reports that Uber is in talks to acquire Grubhub. For Ranjan, it's just the natural next step for delivery startups. This is where we're seeing something that a couple of years ago would probably have just sailed through without any scrutiny. And it's really important that there is a bit of an outcry, that senators are coming out and saying we need to at least question the merger because Uber and Grubhub combined own 48% of the entire food delivery market. DoorDash currently owns 42%. Combined, you have 90%. So already, you now have a duopoly. These companies have already effectively said that the only way these models work is winner takes all, that you concentrate power and then you raise prices. So it seems like the inevitable, the only inevitable result of a merger is increased prices for everyone. One thing we've talked about on this show is the growth of contract labor and contract labor forces. How much of this model is built on the idea of cheap, independent contractor workers? I mean, it has to be completely because if these platforms are already losing money, which most of them are, with the cost structure of very cheap labor and gig workers, the idea of hiring full-time workers is an impossibility and paying benefits and their cost structures could never handle it. I don't know how any of these companies could operate if they actually had to pay workers as full-time employees with benefits. When we think about what's happening now and kind of what people are doing during this pandemic, obviously, the usage of a lot of these platforms has increased. And there was, I think, an assumption among some people that that would be good for both the delivery apps and for the restaurants. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Do we know why? 
This is a very important point. A restaurant typically making three to five percent profit margins. That assumes that all their customers are dining, or most of the customers. And then the incremental DoorDash or Grubhub revenue, you can pay thirty percent on that, and it's not too big of a deal. When suddenly the delivery platform becomes ninety percent of your business or a hundred percent, and even as we start reopening, it's going to not go down to what it was. It'll be seventy percent still, fifty percent. The numbers just don't add up for most restaurants, and I think we're going to unfortunately see a lot of them close. And that's the really sad part about how the model has been developed versus something that was more cost-effective or friendly, or just kind of took into account. The real costs involved. When we think about the bigger picture here, if the companies aren't profitable, the restaurants are paying money and sometimes quite a bit to be on these platforms, and the workers are just on contract, who is benefiting from this model? As customers, we certainly are. We're not paying the right price.、Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like I remind myself of that that. This entire behavior has been subsidized, but we see that in a lot of industries. Ride sharing, when Uber loses eight and a half billion dollars in 2019, that means all those Uber rides I took were not at the correct price, and I was getting a pretty good deal. In fact, a deal that was too good to be true. Ron John Roy, thank you very much for talking with me. Thank you for having me. Ranjan Roy is the founder and CEO of the Edge Group. He writes the newsletter Margins, which covers business and technology, and where you can read more about his experiment with Adam. Adam's restaurant is called AJ's New York Pizzeria. They have locations in Topeka and Manhattan, Kansas. Adam never signed up with DoorDash, and the listing eventually went away. But since the coronavirus pandemic began, his restaurants have started delivering. With both in-house staff and through a smaller food delivery service called Eat Street, currently his sales are flat compared to last year. And considering the pandemic, Adam thinks that's pretty incredible. That's it for the show today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and hosted by me, Lizzie O'Leary, and is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And、I want to take a minute and recommend you listen to this past Monday's "What Next." Mary Harris talked to a longtime Minneapolis justice reporter about the fractured relationship between the city's police and its citizens, something that helped set the conditions for what we're seeing now. "What Next" will be back in your feed on Monday. Have a great weekend. Talk to you next week. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger dot com or just stop by Granger. 
for the ones who get it done.